Okay, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 18 to 23. I do understand that it is hot. We're used to air conditioning in our homes and our cars, and then we come over here and it's hard to focus. But my prayer is that we would be able to uh, tune our minds and our hearts to what the Spirit of God has to say to us uh, this morning. Now in last week's sermon, we looked at the subject of God's righteous anger from Romans chapter 1 verse 18. And Paul talks about how God's wrath, that's what he calls it, or righteous anger is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And we saw that God isn't someone who is quick to anger or easily angered, but that he is slow to anger. Psalm 103, right? Abounding in steadfast love. We saw that and we and so when we talk about God's wrath, it's not that he's easily, you know, just flying off the handle to use that term, but someone who's patient with us. Nevertheless, that he is righteously angry against sin and ungodliness. Not just that it will be revealed in a future time, but even in a present time, there is a way in which God manifests his righteous anger upon people, upon this, this world and, and the things that happen in it. And so we saw, you know, verse 24, 26, 28, how God gives them over. And so we'll get into that when we get to the, to the latter part of chapter Recording 1. Alright, now that that's out of the way. Uh, so God will give them over uh, to what they desire. And we'll come to that uh, when we get to that latter part of chapter 1. For this morning, we're going to look at verse 18 to 23. And I promise we'll finish 18 to 23 uh, this morning. And I, I and just sort of put that whole section uh, together. And our focus is on how man's ungodliness and unrighteousness is manifest. How is it manifest? Or to put it another way, what does, it, what, what, what does man do that justifies the anger of God? What does man do that justifies the anger of God? Now Paul writes at the end of verse 18. So look in your Bibles at the end of verse 18. And he says this. He says, who by their unrighteousness, that's you know all of mankind, suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. That's what his, his main thing is over here. And so the question is, how do they suppress the truth? And I'm going to give you four ways in which they suppress the truth. Let me tell you what they are quickly and then we'll look at each one of them, one at a time. First of all, people ignore God's general revelation. People ignore God's general revelation. Number two, people do not honor God as God. Number three, they do not give thanks to God. And number four, they exchange God's glory for created things. Alright, so those are the four uh, that we're going to sort of dig into and pick up from uh, this morning. But I want you to think about this for a moment before we get into those points. When he says over here too that, that men suppress the truth, what's he, is that even possible? Is it possible for us mere human beings in that sense to suppress the truth of God? And it's interesting that he says over here that, you know, uh, that, and he uses the active voice, if you like, just to, you know, pick up a little bit of grammar, to indicate that they intentionally 
or deliberately suppress the truth it's not something that happens to them in that sense that you know they're doing this and so they end up suppressing the truth but they actually intentionally deliberately choose to suppress God's truth why would people do that and I'll answer that question to the end of the sermon right why people would suppress the truth and so we get to that at a moment but is it possible for people to suppress the truth of God now I think the idea that Paul has is more of a reflective one in that sense where people deny God's truth to themselves or we downplay and or reject God's truth in our minds and our hearts and and yes we can do it publicly but it's reflective it's about me denying or rejecting the truth of God because you and I cannot ultimately turn off the truth of God we cannot ultimately suppress God's truth so much that nobody sees it because God is much greater than that let me tell you if God wants to get through God will get through if God wants to get through God will get through and that's the gospel by the way because in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ we speak we, we, we understand that God through the power of the Spirit through the ministry of the Word penetrates deep into our dead hearts and enlivens us to who God is he opens up our, the faculties of our inner person so that we can begin to understand and grasp the reality of God God does that he does that he penetrates into darkness and deadness in our lives and there's no suppressing, if you like, that kind of a special revelation of God. Let me give you a couple of examples. I think I mentioned one of these uh, last week or the week before, Acts 16, 14. When we think about Lydia and it says over here, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Acts 16, 14, God opened her heart. Or in John, uh, in 1 John 5, 20, John uh, says this and he says, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. The Son of God has come and He has given us understanding. So not only is Lydia's heart open, but our minds are open so that we can understand the Son of God, who He is, that He is true. Amazing. And I share these verses with you because that's what we call God's special revelation. God's special revelation. Which is a kind of revelation that awakens a dead sinner to the reality of who God is and he saves them. But that's different from God's general revelation. God's general revelation which we're going to touch on this morning. So let's look at those four ways in which people suppress the truth and hopefully you know it'll be instructive for you but even as as you think about the world and sin and its dominance maybe these things will put those those blocks in place that help you understand why the world is the way the way it is so here's the first one the first reason or the first way in which people suppress the truth of God is when they ignore God's general revelation. They ignore God's general revelation. Look at verse 19 in your Bibles. Here's what it says. He says, for what can be known about God? So he's continuing from them suppressing the truth. 
and then he's telling us how he says for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them and I want you to stop and observe for a moment over here that what can be known about God eh? the, the, the things about who God is and he talks about that his divine nature right his eternal power those things are visible because God has made it plain to them and I love this because God is not someone who's trying to conceal himself from us and you and I are you know desperately trying to find God no no God is has painted himself into everything around us and as we behold the creation we should be able to acknowledge the existence of God we should be able to and so man's inability to see God cannot be blamed on God you cannot say I don't know where God is I don't know who God is because he's painted it clearly and obviously for us to see and so Paul would say in verse 20 he says for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse I love that he says it like that he uses an oxymoron right he says that God's invisible attributes are made visible and I think he uses that because it's it's just to emphasize the point that even though God is invisible immortal nevertheless God is visible and makes himself visible and known to us how does he do that in the creation in the heavens so the psalmist can say in Psalm 19 and you remember the psalm the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard I love it do you see that last line that he says over there basically what he's saying is there is absolutely no place where the voice of God is not heard as it is revealed in the things that God has made there's no single person that can stand on the earth and say I don't know where God is or I don't know if God exists you cannot do that because God has painted his existence he's written his existence into absolutely everything and that's why Paul can say you know in verse 19 that what can be known about God is plain to them it's plain to them or in verse 20 towards the end he says that it's been that it can be clearly perceived the things about God clearly perceived and so he ends verse 20 saying so they are without excuse no one has an excuse to say I don't know where God is or who God is no one can say God did not reveal himself to me in fact the scriptures will go further and say in, in you know in, in Psalm 14 verse 1 the fool what does it say the fool says in his heart there is no God the fool says in his heart there is no God and I think Paul picks that up in Romans 1 and he says claiming to be wise they became fools because they said there is no God there is no God 
It's a foolish person who denies the existence of God, which is so clearly manifest in creation. Now, to be clear over here, this is, a, is an important note over here. Paul is not claiming through this that the revelation of God in creation is enough to give a person saving faith. It's not enough to give a person saving faith, but it provides a person enough to acknowledge the existence of God. It gives you enough to acknowledge the existence of God. Because when you look at these things, you've got to say there's, there's something behind the existence of these things. I don't know if you, if you've, if you've been, if you noticed in the news in the last month, couple of months, uh, about the James Webb Space Telescope. Anybody saw that? Magnificent images, isn't it? Unbelievable. It's the most advanced kind of telescope that captures infrared light, which means it can capture light at great distances and somehow put those, those light beams together and create an image. And it showed us spectacular things that we didn't see before with the kind of clarity that we see now. Loved it. I enjoyed it. And I, you know, I, I've got, I've saved those images on my laptop. It's magnificent. But I find it hard to understand how people can come away from that and say God doesn't exist or can deny the existence of God or, or even look at the earth and look at the, the intricacy of life and how things happen and how, how people live and how creatures live and reproduce and all the, the functionings of it or even the world as it revolves and rotates. How does it stay where it does? And to come away from all of that and say, you know what? That just happened. It just happened. And it's so interesting that the theory of evolution has become so mainstream in the world now that the world considers you a fool. See the switch? You're a fool for believing in the existence of God. Where the Bible says that the fool denies the existence of God, the world says you're a fool for believing that God exists. How can we look at all those things and say there is no intelligent mind behind the existence of those things? Or even your own life. The intricacy of you as a person. God made you. He fashioned you. He created you. Every part of you. And it works. It works. You know, you buy a car and it, they, they, you have to take insurance because it could break down. And then you kind of, it runs for 10, 15 years at the most. But the human body just goes on and on and on. It functions. God has just intricately designed us. Magnificent. And we acknowledge that there's a creator of a car, but not of a person. Funny, isn't it? The fool says in his heart, there is no, no God. But let's move on over here. In the second way that people suppress the truth about God is when they do not honor God as God. They do not honor God as God. Paul says in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him and I like that he says that right he says although they knew God they they knew that God exists from all that they had seen they had an innate sense of the existence of God but they choose not to honor God as God 
They choose not to honor God as God. Now to honor is to give regard to. It's to give respect to. To acknowledge. You know, we honor someone when we stand up and welcome them into our house. We honor them when we do that. Or we honor someone when we make eye contact with them when they're having a conversation. You know, they're not looking all over the place when they're talking to you. That's dishonor. But when you look at them, you give them honor in that. In that simple act, you honor them. We honor people, another person, when we care about the things they care about. We honor someone when we recognize and acknowledge their presence. And you can say so much more about what honor looks like. But what about honoring God? What does that look like? You know, the word that's used over here uh, is doxa, which, in, which, which is translated both honor and glory or glorify. Some of your Bibles actually say that they did not glorify God, right? It's the same idea. They did not glorify him as God. And that word glory is actually an Old Testament word, kavod. It means heavy or weighty. I like that word a lot. It's a, it means weighty or heavy. And so when you give God weight or importance in your life, when God weighs heavy in your life, meaning his will, his word governs and directs your choices and your decisions, it means that God is glorified in your life. God is not glorified when you just stand over here and lift your hands and sing, we give you glory, we give you honor. That may be true, but it's much more than, than that. It means that as we go about our life, the will and the purpose of God governs the way we think and act. That's what it means to give God glory, to glorify Him, to honor Him. And I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of Eli the priest. Now Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who also served uh, in the tabernacle. But these young guys weren't too good. They used to abuse their role as priests. In the, in the tabernacle. And Eli, this father, failed to effectively discipline and correct his sons. He didn't do that. And it's very interesting what God says to Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. I think, yeah, it's up there. He says, look at, listen to these words. Why then did you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? and honor your sons above me. I like that phrasing because that's what it means to give glory to. And here Eli has chosen to give glory to his sons above God. You can't do that. There's only one who is worthy of that place in your life. It doesn't matter what family you have, what job you have, how much money you have. None of that matters if God doesn't have the highest place in your life. And he says over here, you chose to honor your sons above me. And he says, by fattening yourselves. And, I, and the reason why he uses the word fattening is because he's talking about glory. He's talking about heavy in this context. And he says, you fattened yourselves. You have failed to weigh God heavy in your life. And then he says over here in, chapter, in the next verse towards the end, 1 Samuel 2.30b, Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Shall be lightly esteemed. 
to honor God is to give God weight and importance in your life but not just some weight and some importance but the highest place of honor and it cannot be just Sunday mornings it cannot be when I'm standing up here and preaching or when someone is leading the worship or singing this is not it this is this Sunday mornings should be an overflow of all the honor and worship that you've given God in the week should be an overflow of it that's what it should be and Paul is careful to say over here right he says in these he says they did not honor him as God as God in other words they thought of God as something lesser than what he is they thought of God as something lesser than what he had. God was a mere sideshow, if you like, in their life. And so God is not God in your life unless he com commands the highest place of authority and devotion and affection in your life. Only then is he God. Don't call him God. You and I should not call him God if he doesn't have that place. Something else is God in your life. So I asked you this morning, is God honored in your life? Does he have that weight and importance in your heart and in your mind? What governs your life, your thoughts, your actions, your decisions? Does God have that place of honor? So here's people who are suppressing the truth of God by not giving him honor as God. And then the third one is they suppress the truth of God when they do not give thanks to God when they do not give thanks to God. And I know that sounds so simple and obvious, but we live in a world that spends most of its time grumbling, isn't it? And complaining about everything and anything. We're such entitled people that we think that the universe should give us something back, should acknowledge us. And so we kind of walk around expecting everybody to turn their heads at us. Not away from us, but, you know, acknowledging us. We, we have that sense of, about us. And so we, we live in this constant uh, sense of ingratitude, grumbling towards everything. But grumbling, and I, and I pick up that because grumbling is the opposite of thanksgiving it's the opposite you see when we give thanks to God we are saying something about our joy and contentment contentment in God's will for our lives we're pleased with God's will in our life but when we grumble and complain we're in effect telling God that he needs to do a better job and I want you to listen to this because we do this we do this all of us I know I do this just ask my wife how much I can grumble and complain about stuff. We do it all the time. And when we grumble and complain, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, we are in effect saying, God, I'm not happy with my lot in life. You need to do a better job. Get your act together. That's basically what we're saying. You see, the inability to be grateful to God is because we think we know better than God. We think we know better than God. You know, Adam and Eve, 
were tempted into being ungrateful. They were tempted into being ungrateful. Remember, they were sitting in this perfect place. Perfect place. When you talk about perfection, they lived in a perfect place. They had no reason to grumble or complain. Even if we could somehow say, you know what, I have some reason. They had zero reason, if at all, to grumble or complain. And yet the devil came along to them and he said, you know what, let me give you one reason to complain. One reason. God has given you everything in the garden, but he said, don't touch this one tree. One reason. And they needed only one reason to grumble and complain. And they did. They were ungrateful. And they took off that fruit and they ate it. And they fell into sin because of that. It's stunning when you think about that. Rather than giving thanks to God for all that they had. And turning the devil away and saying, you know what? We're happy with what God has given to us. They said, no, no. We want a little more. And they took of that fruit and it led to their fall. Now this is important for us because scripture instructs us. It instructs us to give thanks. You remember what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. He says, rejoice always. Hard to do, isn't it? Right now I know you don't feel like rejoicing because it's hot and humid. Right? But he says, rejoice always. So please smile. That would be nice, yeah. Rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, giving thanks is an act of worship and faith in God. Giving thanks is an act of worship and faith in God. I want to move on a little bit over here and I want you to notice something interesting in verse uh, 21. Here's what he, uh, he says, uh, you know, about, let me, let me read this for you. <clears throat> he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I want you to notice over here that there's two things that they do not do, right? They do not honor God. They do not give thanks to God. And there are two things that result in their lives from what they do not do. So in a passive sense, this is what happens to them when they do not honor God and they do not give thanks to God. And here's what he says. He says, they became futile in their thinking, empty in their thinking. Even stupid, that's the other word. They became stupid in their thinking. And then he says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see what happens? This is what happens when we decide that we do not want to acknowledge God or honor God or give thanks to God. You take God out of your life. This is the result of it. It's the result of it. I'm reading a book. Uh, it's a big, thick, fat story by a Russian author. Uh, it's called Brothers Karamazov. It's about three brothers and their father. The father, is his name is Fyodor Pavlovich. Uh, and he's really, really a special character, right? And I don't use that in a, in a good way at all. And I've already just sort of read the first couple of hundred pages. There's so much more to read about this story. But what stands out to me in this man's life is that he mocks God. He makes fun of God. 
And Dostoevsky, who's the writer of this novel, was a was a believer, you know, a couple of, what, a hundred and so years ago. Uh, so there's a lot of Christian ideas in the book. And so this father mocks God. He belittles God. He makes fun of the church. He does that consistently throughout. But what's interesting is that his life reflects what Paul is saying over here. He refuses to honor God or give thanks to him. And his thinking, the kind of person that he is, is a perverse old man. He doesn't care for anybody else. He's at the center of the universe. And just last night, as before I slept, I was, I was reading a section of it. And I thought it'd be good to just you know, pick up on that this morning. And he's, saying, he's speaking to his, old, his youngest son, Alexei. And he says, you know what? I don't want to leave. And he's wealthy. And he says, I don't want to leave any money to you or your brothers. Obnoxious old man. He is. If you read it, it just stands out. right? He says, I don't want to leave any money to you or your brothers. And he says, why would you want to do that, dad? And he says, well, because I need money when I get old. You see, as I get older, women are going to like me less. And so I need more money to lure them. That's the kind of character that he is. And why I was, I was thinking about that this morning is because here's a man who decides to reject God in his life. And the result is futility, emptiness, hollowness, shallowness. That's what his life looks like. But it's a great picture of that as, you, as I read through that story. And I think it's a great picture of what happens in this world even today. You leave God out, life is empty and shallow and dark and hollow. That's the point that Paul is making in this. Because of the hardness of their hearts. I want you to notice, in, and the scriptures actually warn us in Ephesians 4.17. He says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. They've hardened themselves to God and the result is all of these things. Number four, the fourth way that people suppress the truth about God is when they exchange the glory of God for created things. They exchange the glory of God for created things. Look at verses 22 to 24. Here's what he says. Claiming to be wise, to, to 23, sorry. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for creatures, for images that represent creatures. When, when he says that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, he means that they gave glory to the things that are not God. He gave glory to the things that are not God. Created things, things that represent creation. Images of mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And it was true then, it's true in the world now. And you know, I think, you know, we can probably come away from this and say, oh yeah, yeah, idolatry is really bad. We shouldn't make idols. We live in a country that has lots of idols and so we shouldn't make idols. But there's one form of idol 
right? It's the it's it's something of what he's talking about over here in the sense those images. But we have a very reformed form of idolatry, isn't it? A very not reformed, a refined form of idolatry in our lives. When we give glory to things in our life that aren't God, when we give them such weight and importance in our lives that they have such an ultimate place in our life, they become idols in our hearts, isn't it? And it doesn't have to be sinful or bad things. You know, we always think about sin as, you know, murder and adultery and and thievery and lying and, and malice and, you know, some of these things. Oh, we shouldn't do those things. But it's possible to sin with good things as well. You see, when you take good things and you make them ultimate things in your life, that's idolatry. That's giving importance and glory to something above God. That's idolatry. And so we can do that with our reputation, or our career, or our family, or our children, or our spouse, or our money, our looks, our intelligence, our abilities, our desires, our pleasures. Good things, good things. But when any of these things become ultimate things, meaning that you cannot live without them, that you get angry when people touch those things, how dare they say that about me? You get angry about it. Or you can't stop thinking about it. Or it keeps you up at night. Your money or your reputation or your career. It just weighs heavy. You see what's happening? It's weighing heavy on you. That's idolatry. And you have done exactly what God is saying happens in the world over here. When we, we give we take the glory of the immortal God and we give it to created things. Things that are of much, much less worth and significance than God is. That's idolatry. So this morning, you know, check your hearts. I was, I was, as I was preparing, I, I came across this little article on the subject. And the writer of that article asked these five questions uh, to be able to check, uh, you know, the idols in our heart. And he says... What do you respect? What do you love? What do you put your confidence in? What do you fear? And what do you serve? You got them up over there, right? And if it isn't God, ultimately, in all of these, then you've got an idol in your life. And it's ruling and governing your heart and your thoughts and your decisions and your actions if the answer is not ultimately God to all of these things of course you want to you want to love other people you want to honor other people but never above God that's the point that we, we're making over here and people suppress the truth about God in their lives by giving ultimate glory and honor to the things that are not God so there's four ways that people suppress the truth about God. They ignore God's general revelation. They do not honor God as God. They do not give thanks to God. And they exchange God's glory for created things. Now I want to finish with this one question that I started off with. Uh, and it's a question of why people do this. 
Why do people intentionally, that's the way he's phrased it, they suppress the truth. They intentionally, <clears throat> deliberately suppress the truth about God. Why do they do that? And Jesus says in John chapter 3, and I, it gives us real insight into this, John chapter 3, in you know, John 3.16, we love it. Everybody knows, for God so loved the world. But you come down to verse 19 and he talks about why the world still remains under condemnation. And Jesus tells us in verses 19 and 20, and he says, and this is the judgment or God's righteous condemnation against the world. He says that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You see that people loved darkness. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 Paul says about people he says who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see ultimately it's not a person doesn't turn away from God because of the lack of evidence of the existence of God but because they want to excuse sin in their lives ultimately they love the pleasures of this world more than they love the pleasures of God that's the ultimate reason why people reject the light they reject God because they love darkness they love darkness. That's why they suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. So when people say they can't believe in God because God has not revealed himself to them, it's only an excuse. It's only an excuse to cover up their own love for darkness, for unrighteousness, for the things of this world. It's to cover up their own love for themselves and their unwillingness to yield to someone who calls for them to live in submission to them. We don't like that. But there's no excuse in terms of the revelation of God. Let me give you a moment to quietly bow your heads uh, in prayer and you know, there's a lot has been said uh, through the message this morning. But there will be particular things, one or two things even, that God has spoken to you about your own heart before Him. And it's not for us to go away from a passage like this or a sermon like this and, and just simply condemn the world around us and say, oh, that's how they are. But to really reflect on the condition of our own hearts before God does God have that honor and that glory in our lives really does he have it and are we able to give thanks to him and honor him as God Lord we thank you for your word to us this morning help us Lord to go away and to continue to reflect on it in the week ahead in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.